first of all, thanks for taking the time out to do this interview with me. Not a problem at all. Um, Located, Tim. I'm in North Alabama. Oh, wonderful. So there's going to be probably a disparity in accents with this this interview here, since you're from Joysey. (laughs) I'm a Joysey boy, yeah. (laughs) Well, now you were born Joseph DiNicola. Now, Joey D sounds like a, either a nickname from way back or, I don't know, maybe a character on The Sopranos. Well, it could have been either. But what happened was, uh, Dina Cola was a little bit too long for the marquee, especially along with the Starlighters. Okay. I, uh, I uh, shortened it. I just made it Joey D, D-E-E, and I thought people could remember that better as well. Right. Yeah, that, I mean, that just kind of sounds like a childhood nickname, too. Tim, you know what they called me when I was when I was a kid in the neighborhood? They called me Pep, P-E-P. Oh, okay. Because I was a uh, very agile. Uh, I was the fastest kid on the block and that kind of stuff. I was an athlete, sorts, except I was very short, shall we say? Tallest person in my family is five three. <laughs> oh wow! No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, how did you get started? I got started uh, probably right around kindergarten, first grade, when I found out that I was blessed with a, with a great ear for music. Uh, they were teaching us the scales, do re mi fa so la ti do. I found so many of my peers, all the other children in the class, most of them were having difficulty with that. And to me, it just came natural, and I could go from one octave to another to uh, doing a scale upwards and downwards, and, and it was very simple. So I picked up our harmonica, and I started playing harmonica, and that was very easy for me. And then I started my first band, and the band consisted of me on, on harmonica. I had a drummer um, and a guitar player, and we were called the Thunder Trio, and we did all the charities that were around my hometown of Passaic, New Jersey, and uh, we sounded like thunder. We were horrible, but we had the opportunity to perform in front of an audience. So it gave me some experience. Then I matriculated up to uh, clarinet, and then from clarinet to alto saxophone. And we ended up having, when I was uh, maybe 18 years old, the best band in the state of New Jersey. And we had contests to prove it. Battle of the Bands. Huh? I got I, that's how I got into music. Okay. Um, well, now, you know, later on, uh, you performed at the Peppermint Lounge. And, uh, you know, your biggest hit, the Peppermint Twist, uh, from what I understand, came really came about as a way to kind of scratch each other's backs. Pretty much. Uh, what happened was, after I, I got the, uh, the saxophone and had the greatest band in New Jersey, I said, I'm going to have to find some good singers because I'm at best an average singer. So I got the two best doo-wop singers in two different groups. Rogers Freeman, who was uh, in a group, and uh, David Bergatti, who later became uh, a member of the Young Rascals who were in the Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. So uh, I had two great singers. And we got uh, a nightclub in New Jersey called Oliveri's. And while we were playing there, an agent from New York came by, and he saw the cars in the parking lot. He came in to see what was going on, 
he heard the group, and when I came out on break, he said, how would you like to play a gig in New York City? And I said, wow, that was, that was my dream when I first started the band, to get to New York, because I knew if we were ever going to become successful, I had to get into New York City. So uh, he got me a gig at the Peppermint Lounge on a Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, three days. Uh, in uh, uh, September of 1960. So that's when I started at the Peppermint Lounge. And we were an interim band. We were just taking the place of the regular band who was taking a respite. They were taking a, a week off. So we took their uh, spot for three days. And the owner liked us so much, we became the house band. And unfortunately, the band that preceded us lost the gig. But... <laughs> While we were there in the Peppermint Lounge, uh, about maybe six months later, we had Merle Oberon, the great actress. I happen to be a big movie buff. Yeah. And I recognized her right away, and I said, wow, Merle Oberon's coming into the Peppermint Lounge. Unbeknownst to me, it was pouring outside, and I was in the Peppermint Lounge, was, was located in the heart of the theater district in New York City on West 45th Street. So she came in with a newspaper writer by the name of Charlie Knickerbocker. And I was doing Hank Ballard's version of The Twist as part of my show. Uh -huh. So the kids were dancing The Twist, and Merle Oberon, I guess, thought it to be a hoop to get on dance floor and dance with these kids. And she did. And Charlie Knickerbocker wrote about it in the Daily News the next day in New York City. And the next day we had 10 more people and 15 more people, because when... When I first started there, there might have been 10 people in the whole joint, though, for the whole night. But that was the uh, genesis of the Peppermill Lounge. But by the end of the week, there was a line outside. And it was just a natural phenomenon. Not a dime was spent on advertising. The Peppermill Lounge made me, and I made the Peppermill Lounge. So in answer to your question, uh, although it was pretty long to get you to that spot, that's how it all occurred. <laughs> When I, are, are you telling me that Merle Oberon just came in to get out of the rain? Exactly right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's coming out from the, the theaters. You had to walk to the garages, which were buildings where it's indoor parking. So she passed the Pepper Lounge, and I guess they heard the music, and they also were getting uh, hit by this torrential rainstorm, so they got in out of the rain. They sat down, had a cocktail, and just got involved, and, and they stayed a couple hours. So I, I was so pleased and impressed that if no one else ever came in, I could tell people, Earl Oberon came in to listen to my band, and she danced to the Peppermint, well, not the Peppermint Twist, but the Twist yeah. ballad version. Well, Merle Oberon came in. I imagine maybe being in the theater district, you had a lot of the rich and famous maybe hanging out there, at least after that. Tim, it was incredible. It, after, after a couple of months, the, the Ronettes came in, and that's how they became members of Joey D and the Starlighters. They came in and said, uh, can, can we sing with you? And they were pretty, very, very pretty young ladies, and they looked great. They, they couldn't have been more than 16 or 17, and the legal age of drinking in New York City at the time was 18. So how they got in, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I said, you know what, I come from Passaic, New Jersey, same town the Shirelles come from. 
and they got me my first record contract with Scepter Records. So I said, somebody gave me a chance, let me give them a chance. So they got on stage, and they did what I say, Ray Charles' song, and they tore the house down. The people went nuts. And I hired them as part of my group, and we went on the road uh, in New Jersey locally, because they lived in, in Harlem up in New York City. And um, they were just phenomenal. And, of course, as you know, they're members of Rock and Roll's Hall of Fame, still very dear friends of mine. But I had to pass the acid test. Their mother said, Joey D has to come to the house, and I have to meet him and check him out. <laughs> so I went up there, and uh, Ronnie's mother asked me several questions. She said, would you mind if the girls had a chaperone? I said, I would welcome that. So they had their aunt, who was Aunt Helen, and she came with us, and we did some gigs in in uh, New Jersey, and then we went down as far as uh, uh, Ocean City, Maryland. And we had some experiences there, because I, I didn't realize, coming from New Jersey and coming from uh, an integrated city, pretty much, because, like I told you, I went to school with the Shirelles and all. So I, I didn't uh, think any anything much about the... Uh, uh, having colors. Yeah. That's what they call them back then. Right. So I said, uh, was no problem for me, but when we got to uh, Ocean City, Maryland, and we tried to check into a hotel, that was a no-no back in the 60s. And then I saw some signs, drinking fountains, colors only, drink uh, lavatories, colors only, whites only. You know, and I, I, I just couldn't grasp that. And... Uh, the people that came in the Peppermint Lounge, getting back to our story, the Beatles came in. Ava Gardner came in. Marilyn Monroe came in. Jackie Kennedy came in. Anybody who was Salvatore Dali, Andy Warhol, anybody who was famous in the early 1960s, one, two, three, in that era, came to the Peppermint Lounge, and the Peppermint Lounge uh, uh, became the place where jet setters came. So people came from all over the world, and that's where the expression jet setters occurred. And go-go girls also came from the Peppermint Lounge. Huh. So we, we started a lot of things, not just musically, but socially and historically. When are you talking about the, uh, the, the signs on the different water fountains? And that's in Maryland. I mean, normally folks think that sort of thing went on down here where I'm at, here in Alabama. Which it did, but still. You're exactly right, Tim. And I want to tell you something. There was just as much prejudice in, in uh, New Jersey and New York as there was in Alabama, except theirs was bail. Down south. And I, I had uh, my, my drummer came from Savannah, Georgia, and my uh, keyboard player, Carlton Lattimore, he came from uh, 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 Florida. Uh, right around where the University of Florida is. Uh -huh. and, and we had, uh, so they, they, they knew what to expect. And I had an offer to do a tour down south after the Peppermint Twist came out. And the promoter said, but you have to get rid of the colors. And I said, well, either you hire all of us or you hire none of us. He said, no, I can't do it. So I said, okay. A couple of weeks later, I get a call back. He said, okay, you can bring the entire band. I said, okay, then we got a deal. This was a lot of money back then. 
I, I think it was 15000 for the week, and that was huge. Wow. 1962. That's huge now. <laughs> yeah, well, not in the same sense. Right. If you, you know, because um, when we went down there and we had the same situation, we couldn't go in the same restaurants, we couldn't go in the same uh, hotels, but what I did was, I said, well, you know what, I'm an R&B guy, and we're going to stay together. And we stayed in what I call Soulville. So uh, I went to where the, uh, the, the colors owned the restaurants and owned the hotels, and they welcomed us with open arms, and we stayed there and had a great time. They treated me and the rest of the guys royally. I mean, the number one record in the country and we were staying in their hotel and eating in their restaurants. Wow. Played the University of Georgia. I played plenty of great, great venues down there. But unfortunately, it was uh, uh, just just for uh, white, whites only, pretty yeah. much. And that, that reminds me of that movie, The Green Book. Um, That's ex- I lived that, exactly. But mine was even more so because I was the headliner, and I wasn't the chauffeur. Right. It was just kind of the other way around. I had the musicians, uh, I had a mixed band and uh, a vocalist, and I was the lead singer, and I was the white guy. So in a lot of ways, when I went to see Green Book with my wife, I said, you know what? This is only part of what happened to me. I mean, we went, we went through Arkansas, and that's when they had the race riots, and it wasn't a very pleasant time. And I had to, we were on our way to California, and I had to put the two, I call them brothers, because they were like my brothers, Willie Davis, the drummer, Carlton Lattimore, the keyboard player, in the back seat of my Cadillac on the floor, covered with instruments and clothing. Because we got pulled over in Arkansas, and I didn't know if we were ever going to get out of there. Well, They said, they looked in the car and they checked it out, and said, all right, you can go. And I... And I took a sigh of relief because I didn't know what the heck might happen here. <laughs> and we finally made it, though. But, and and I, I wrote a book called The Peppermint Twist Chronicles, Tim. Yeah. And it took me 11 years to write it. And all of this is in the book. And it's, if, if you're a rock and roll listener and you love rock and roll and the history of it and what went on behind the scenes, if you buy one book this year, get that one on Amazon. Peppermint Twist Chronicles by Joey D, and there's some great stories about some of the people that were in my band. Uh, it was amazing, Tim. I tell people about it, and and then I stop telling people about it because it's incredulous. You wouldn't believe that in the same band, I put together a group called the Rascals, who became the Young Rascals. Yeah. But they were Starlighters before that. Three of the four of them. I had Eddie uh, Brigatti, Felix Cavalier, and Gene Cornish. 1965, I get the world's greatest guitar player in my band, Maurice James. He auditioned at my house in Lodi, New Jersey. This is only the greatest guitar player, like I said, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I got stories about Jimi Hendrix in the book. If you're, you're a Jimi Hendrix fan, you got to buy the book just for that. I had Joe Pesci as my guitar player. I mean, it, it's amazing. I worked in 1963 in Stockholm, Sweden. My opening act were the Beatles. He said, we're coming to the States 
this is in October 63, said, we're coming to the States in a couple of months. What do you think? I said, well, you just got to please, please me as far as your originals. You're playing Fats Domino. You're playing Everly Brothers. You're playing uh, Little Richard, the Isley Brothers. I said, all great music, but we got the real deal there, you know, so unless you come up with something else, you know, please, please me probably could be a hit, but I don't know what you do after that. (laughs) They said, George told me, I threw a party for them after we we did the show. They were uh, accepted by the audience with howls, and I knew I had to come with my A game, and we did. So, uh, I would say it was a tie, or we might have beat it by a little because we had more hit records. Yeah. So uh, I threw a party from that night, and George came to me, and he said, we're coming to the States in uh, January and February, and we're doing some TV and some recordings. Uh, we're going to come to the Peppermint Lounge to see you. And you know what? They kept their word. All four of them came to the Peppermint Lounge to see Joey D and the Starlighters. And I have the pictures to prove it. It's also in the book. And I mean, there's so many great stories I have about some of the biggest names in show business that were either in my band or, or actors and actresses or politicians. And it, it, it's just been a hell of a ride. Yeah, I, uh, I, I get choked up with emotion just thinking about how all this could happen to one person. So you tell the Beatles, okay, you're going to need something besides please, please me. And they essentially say, Hold my beer, and pretty much. <laughs> so. pretty much, and we drank, we drank a lot that night. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, well, back to the peppermint twist. Now, you you grew up playing all these instruments, and and you had had some other vocalists. But I understand you weren't really originally supposed to be the lead singer on that song. Well, why would I be the real? The, the lead singer when I had the two best singers in the state of New Jersey, except for maybe Frank Sinatra, in well, my band. So I said, uh, I, uh, I had three record companies to choose from. Atlantic Records, Roulette Records, and Capitol Records. And I knew time was of the essence. So I said, whoever can get uh, a, record, a recording out the quickest is going to get my signature on the dotted line. So Morris Levy from uh, Roulette Records says, I'll have the record out in two weeks. I said, two weeks? And I said, what about you, Atlantic? Morris uh, Ahmed Erdi, <laughs> president then. And he said, I could probably have it out in three months. And I said, that's not going to work. Oh, well. I talked to Nick Vinay from Capitol Records. What, you, what about you? Oh, at least six months. And I said, Morris, we got a deal. And I, meanwhile, I'm signed to Scepter Records through, uh, you know, the good graces of the Shirelles who got me the deal. And I told Morris, I said, I'm already signed to Scepter, not knowing he was a big mobster and, and tied to the Genovese family. Uh, you know, I'm a kid from Jersey, and, and I had met some mob guys in Jersey, like the Soprano kind of guys. Right. Uh, th- these were the big deal. These are the five families in New York City. So I said... I'm signed to uh, set the records. He said, don't worry about it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And he was a tough guy. And, and I mean it. And we signed to Roulette Records. And true to his word, two weeks later, Peppermint Twist was on the air. He had a, an A&R guy, Henry Glover, 
who worked with Hank Ballard, who worked with James Brown, who worked with Dinah Washington, and he also, he and I, one Sunday afternoon, went to the back of the Peppermint Lounge, he played piano, and we came up with the Peppermint Twist. He says, I want it different than Hank's version. You know, Hank, come on, baby, let's do it. And I said, yeah, I agree with that. He says, I want to make it more funky. So he, I want it more than, and I said, and, because I was an RBI guy, and I loved it. And immediately we started writing it, and it didn't take us more than two hours to write the whole song, because it was all about Meet Me Baby on 45th Street, where the Peppermint Twisters meet. I wrote most of the words and some of the melody, and Dave Brigatti, my, my vocalist, did the, uh, the Baba Shoebop, Baba Shoebop, you know. Uh-huh. So that's how it all came about, and the Peppermint Twist was born that Sunday afternoon in October 1961. Well, how did you end up being the lead singer on it? Now that's now back to that question, and you have to check me sometimes because I <laughs> get scattered. Got the stories are so great in between. Yeah, but uh, Rogers tried it, and Henry said, "I don't know. Let let David try it." So David uh, Bergatti tried it. He says, Joey, why don't you try it? I said, I'm a background singer and a sax player. That's all I did in the band, except I did a couple of rock and roll tunes, like Money by Barrett Strong, that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, I said, he said, sometimes the songwriter can capture the essence of the song better than the greatest singers. I said, well, you know what? I'll give it a try. So I went into the studio, never been in front of a lead mic before, never been in the studio before. Other than, you know, a little dinky one when we did my first recording. And um, I did the Peppermint Twist, and of course I knew it because I wrote it. And he said, that's exactly the sound I want. And there, there was the, the birth of uh, Joey D as the lead singer of Joey D and the Starlighters. Well, now, you guys also did a couple of movies. We did two motion pictures, one for Paramount called Alice Twist and one for... Uh, uh, Columbia called Two Tickets to Paris. And during that time, I met Joanne Campbell, who I fell in love with. She played my girlfriend in Hayley Swiss. And uh, Teddy Randazzo, one of my dear friends, who wrote all those great songs for Little Anthony and the Imperials, going out of my head, and that outside looking in. Uh-huh. And uh, he was a great singer in his own right, and a big uh, star on the Alan Freed shows when they used to be at the uh, Paramount in New York City. I'm, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit here. Now, you know, Peppermint Twist, you know, is your biggest hit. Was there uh, maybe another song along the line that maybe you had more fun doing, recording, performing? Well, yeah, there was. There was another song from the movie, Two Tickets to Paris. Uh, we needed a love song. And Henry Glover was doing all the music for both movies. He said, I got somebody I think they could write a song for you. I said, but I'm not a balladeer. I'm a rock and roller, Henry. He said, try this song out. He said, so he said, we'll come back in a week, and I'll have a song for you. So he gets Johnny Nash to write his song. Oh. Great Johnny Nash writes, what kind of love is this? And I said, I don't know if I can cut this, because I heard the demo, and the demo is fabulous, if you ever can listen to it. And Johnny Nash was from uh, Jamaica. So he, he loved that reggae sound. So he but he, he wrote this song, you know, I can see clearly now uh-huh. he, you know, on his own right. He he was a fabulous singer. 
I couldn't get on stage with a dude like that. But he said, try it, Joe. He said, went in the studio here again. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? Henry said, that's the sound. You got it, Joey. And he recorded it. It became my favorite Joey D and the Starlighters recording. Not my most successful, but my favorite. Yeah. And then I, I, I love the Isley Brothers. And no one can ever tell me anybody could do a version of Shout better than the Isley Brothers. <laughs> including me, including Otis Day and the Knights. It didn't matter. Isley Brothers did the definitive version. And after I heard it, that became my closing number. And to this day, 60 years later, it's still my closing number. Well, and, and I play both versions on my midday show. So, Well, that's so cool. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did a concert with them. Uh, I did a lot of concerts with them, and we both did shout. And I'll tell you, they, <laughs> they worked me to death on that. I had, <laughs> you know, I had to bring the A game, but I was a lot younger and more agile, so I, I did a pretty good version, but, but theirs is still the best version. <laughs> Um, were you ever in any of those PBS fundraising shows? Yes, I was. It was called Rock, Rhythm, and Doo-Wop. And uh, my dear friend, another Jersey boy and an idol of mine, Frankie Valley, uh, was on the show, along with uh, the Iceman, Jerry Butler, who was also another favorite of mine. So they were the MCs. Man, I fit right in. I did Peppermint Twist on there. And we tore it up. The audience loved it. It was done in, in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, I must have missed that one because I know a lot. A lot of the folks that I've talked to have been on those shows. I talked to uh, Bobby Rydell here a couple of months ago. He was the one I had seen the Green Book on Netflix, you know, but I'd, I'd never watched it until he mentioned I had mentioned him a character playing him in the movie. So that's what made me want to watch it. But anyway, um, that's kind of, kind of a left turn there. Excuse me for interrupting. About the Green Book, when my wife and I saw it, uh, I didn't need a Green Book. Green Book, for people who are unaware of what it was, was for colored people that traveled from the north down south to find out where to find the restaurants and the hotels where they'd be welcome. That's what the Green Book was all about. Well, I had my own built-in Green Book. Yeah. I had Carlton Lattimore and Willie Davis, so there was no, no issue at all. Right. I said, maybe... maybe we, a lot of people are telling me after reading my book, there's a movie here, and I'm hoping that they're right. Um, you also had a street corner dedicated to you in your hometown, or your, the group. I mean, is that amazing? You grew up in a little town called Passaic, New Jersey. Well, small, and we have 56,000 people. But out of that town came the Shirelles, uh Ironhead Hayward, the football player, he went to the pros. Uh, the hardest-hitting linebacker from the Oakland Raiders. I mean, he he hit Daryl Stingley from from the Patriots and and paralyzed him. I, I don't mean it as as something great that he did, but I mean that he was known to be the hardest hitter hit during his time for the Oakland Raiders. But anyway, he's also from State, New Jersey, a small town, but eight miles from the city, so. That's how we, we had to contact to, uh, to, you know, to get to New York City. Finally, Don Davis, who became my manager, discovered us in New Jersey and brought us to the Peppermint Lounge. Okay, okay. Uh, I've, I've run across uh, 
a mention of the foundation for the love of rock and roll. What? Tell us about that. Oh man, see that's that's another story, and I just glossed up, upon, uh, upon it when I'm do, uh, when I did the uh, Peppermint Twist Chronicles. But the, uh, if there's a sequel, I'm going to tell you a whole lot more about it. Uh, Jackie Wilson was probably my all-time idol when it came to uh, and, and vocally Johnny Maestro from the Crest. So I'd say that they were my favorites. Uh, Ray Charles, Frank Sinatra. I, I had a lot of favorites, but Jackie Wilson got a stroke when uh, he was doing a gig for Dick Clark in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And I heard through the grapevine that uh, he was destitute and he was uh, in a nursing home in New Jersey. And I said, how the hell can this happen? A man of that stature such a big star, closed every show I ever did, and he's in the nursing room, nursing home, and, and nobody cares. I said, something's got to be done about this. So I got a couple of friends of mine down here in Florida, and I said, why don't we start something like the actors have, an actor's home, for, for people that were in the business, had success, and, and weren't very smart with their money, and became destitute like Jackie did and D. Clark did, who became a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. And I'm saying, we got to do something. So we started a foundation and Dick Clark came on board. He was our CEO. And guess what? Couldn't get the, the funding. I thought all the big stars, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Peepop, Poop, they would all jump on board and say, here's some money, here's some more money, whatever you need, you got it. These were my idols. You know, Michael Jackson says on, on a few interviews, Jackie, you know, Jackie Wilson and James Brown were my idols. Right. Hey, cool. Well, then do something about it. But evidently, uh, you know, they had other obligations and other things they wanted to do. So uh, we ended up getting a place up in the uh, state of Massachusetts. I wanted it down south where I wanted it in Florida, actually. But uh, we couldn't get the funding to get it down here. But I started, it was the American Music Foundation. Dick Clark, God bless him, he did the, the best he could, but uh, we couldn't get all, enough funding, and it, it just dissipated and, and went away after about two years. Oh, okay. All right, well, Florida would have been a good place because people go to retire down there. And... Of course. <laughs> I mean, Bobby Lewis, dear friend. I mean, so many people that gave us so much enjoyment music and and, and going to their concerts. How could you not be concerned? Yeah. Well, I was, but uh, unfortunately, I couldn't get the job done. Mm. I don't, well, maybe there's a way. You know, sometimes these things have a way of resurfacing and you know working out. Well, I, I'm later. hoping. You know, and and Tim, I want to tell you something. I know you're you're in northern Alabama, and and there uh, there was a lot of uh, segregation there. You know, back during my time, this before the Civil Rights Act and all of that. Uh, my biggest accomplishment in show business is having the first integrated band slash doo-wop group with a number one on Billboard, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Well, you've talked, you've mentioned your book a couple of times, Peppermint Twist Chronicles. Uh, a couple of questions. Uh, can you still jump like you do on the picture on the cover? Well, I want to tell you something. It's a little deceiving on that picture, because... 
I'm jumping off a of Leslie speaker. That was part of my end oh. of my show and shout. Oh, okay. Okay? And so it looks like I'm, I'm jumping high. But I have another picture where I'm jumping at least two feet off the ground. And I'm a little guy. I'm five feet. I used to be 5'7". I'm 5'5". Five, five, <laughs> I drunk. But anyway, I, I used to jump two feet off the floor and, and touch my toes, you know, jumping up and touch. And that was part of my... Uh, my stick, because like I told you, I'm just a mediocre singer, so I made it up in gyrations and dancing, yeah. and I was pretty good at it. And we created the Peppermint Twist, which was our own special dance. Yeah. But if you, if you were to uh, measure my, my jump now from two feet, it would probably be about two inches. <laughs> well, that's kind of like me. I was a high jumper in, in high school, and, um, you know, I... I may be about six inches off the ground so nowadays. So I got news for you, Tim. So was, did you know that Johnny uh, Mathis was a high jumper? No. In California? He had he had the, the state record for a few years. And he used to come to the Peppermint Lounge every afternoon when we were rehearsing. And because West Side Story was one of the plays on Broadway, and he loved what he went to every one he could go to. But he wasn't doing a gig, so he became friends of mine. And Johnny Johnny Mathis, great guy, great singer, but a lot of people don't know a great athlete. Wow! Check it out. Okay. okay. Well, I, well, I have a state record here in Alabama too. Still, so um, well, you got to check out see if you you could beat him or not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, my, my other question about the book is this. Is this more? This is not so much of a biography as it is maybe just a a storytelling. It's a combination topic. of storytelling. Okay, and and it's and it's the real deal. And I talked to my wife eleven years ago before you know before I started writing it. I said, "Listen, there's going to be some stuff in here that it's not going to be very flattering to you," and she said. I want you to write the truth. That got Good. me. Yeah. So every well. story in there is, some, most of it's fun, and most of it is the inside of rock and roll and what the rock and rollers do. A lot of stories about Hendrix and Pesci, and you can imagine what went on, you know, uh, a lot. And I told it, and a lot of stuff from my travels, and uh, but it, it, and I lost my dad early when I was nine years old, and. Uh, it's all in the book, and it's like you say, it's a compilation of a lot of vignettes, a lot of little stories. Yeah. But they're very interesting, and I had a co-writer write it for me, because I'm a music writer, not a book writer. <laughs> this guy, uh, and and uh, Gary Puckett was the guy who introduced me to uh, Kevin Morris, who was my co-writer. And I'm just very proud of the way he did it, and he put it, it's not chronological, out here, hey, if you read any of it, and he jumps around a lot, but it tells some wonderful, wonderful stories that that I conveyed to him. Um, you're still performing. How did 2020 affect you? Well, uh, March 6th or 7th was my last gig in New Jersey, and then I came back, and I was totally out of work. And it might have been a blessing. And um, I'm a God-fearing person, and I, and I believe 
uh, in God and a uh, pretty religious guy. And when I uh, came to the, the COVID situation, the blessing was that now I had time to finish my book. So in a year and a half, I told my stories to Kevin, who lives in Utah. I, never, I still haven't met him. And uh, I just told him the stories. He put everything on tape. And this is the book he came out with. And I said, Kevin, kudos to you, man. You did a fantastic job. And you, you can hear my voice in the stories. And I like to think that you can live my life, you know, vicariously through, through those little stories that I told him. So the book is, is uh, available on Amazon. And go to Joey, go to JoeyD.com oh, okay. and you just hit button. You don't have to do anything. It takes you right to Amazon. Okay. And, and you can get the book. Get a copy. And you know what? If, uh, if you're thinking of uh, a friend that likes rock and roll, your family likes rock and roll, or your, your parents or your kids, and you want to know about the real rock and roll deal, if you buy one book, get the Peppermint Twist Chronicles. Make a great birthday present and a great, great Christmas present. And that's going to be here before you know yeah, it. Yeah, I started to say gift-giving time is coming up soon. There you go. All right. Well, good luck with the book, and thanks for your time. Hey, Tim, thanks for get, allowing me all of this time. And to all the folks in Alabama, I, I worked all there, uh, the entire state, uh, you know, top to bottom, Huntsville, you name, you name all the towns, the big towns I played at them. And you love your rock and roll, man, and you know good rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> you hear it. <laughs> Well, I'm about 20 miles outside of Huntsville. So. Being Alabama, you got all the greats. And Benny King, one of my favorites, Alabama boy. Yeah. And so uh, he, he I, I'm sorry we lost him. He was, he was such a dear, dear friend of mine. I've been, Tim, I've been so fortunate to meet some of the greatest in show business. Jackie Wilson, Johnny Maestro, Larry Chance, Girls, Tokens, the Shirelles, the Ronettes, I mean. It doesn't get better than that. I'm living the dream, man. Yeah. Living the dream. Yeah. Now, I talked to Larry uh, just about a month ago, too. Had him on my on my show, too. So that was... Uh, he's that was in me. my book, too. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Everybody's in. They're all in there. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, Tim, thanks for your time. Uh, and God bless, uh, God bless America, really, number one. And uh, let's get it together, folks. We're all one country. We're all Americans. And let's keep it that way. Amen. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. God bless you, man. You too.